everyone and welcome to the Miss Saye show. Today I have the lovely Reza Aslan with me. He's an author, he's an Emmy nominee for his producing in Hollywood and he's joining us from Los Angeles, correct? That's right, Los Angeles, the east side of LA. <laughs> well, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. And these are just the titles because Reza is beyond his titles. Every time I, uh, I try to catch up with him, I see that you have reinvented yourself and you're doing new things. And I would love to hear about your new TV show. Yeah, thank you. Um, so it was just announced quite recently. Um, uh, the show is called The United States of Al. It's a half hour um, sitcom on CBS. It premieres April 1st, uh, Thursdays at 9.30 p.m. It's a Chuck Lorre um, uh, production. Chuck Lorre, of course, you know, is, is kind of a, a god when it comes to <laughs> sitcoms. He, Big sure. Bang Theory and, uh, you know, Dharma and Greg and mom and young Sheldon and the Kaminsky method. And I mean, it's just, he's, he's, a, he's an institution. So it was really wonderful that this idea that we had was something that he was drawn to. Um, it tells the story of a Afghan interpreter um, who um, comes to the United States after uh, years of trying, you know, it's that, that part is very much based on the real events. So there are some 50,000 um, Afghan interpreters that the United States military used and promised that in exchange for helping them in the war in Afghanistan, that they would uh, get visas to come to the United States. That promise, of course, was never kept. There are something like anywhere unofficially about 50,000 Afghan interpreters who risk not only their lives, but the lives of their family sure. to fight the Taliban alongside US forces and who have been abandoned um, in Afghanistan. This is the story of one of them who finally gets to come uh, to the US and he lives with um, a Marine who was kind of his closest friend there. And it's about the relationship between the two of them and the way in which um, he's still, you know, he's still being an interpreter for this Marine, but he's now interpreting his life, you know, helping him get his life back together again and, and fix his marriage and, you know, deal with the trauma of war. And um, there's never really been a, a show like this on television. Certainly there's never been a character. Sure. Like Al on sure. television, you know, the lead, the lead actor, exactly. you know, being, being uh, representing an Afghan and, uh, and it's funny and it's warm and it's beautiful and, you know, it's really meant to target, I think, the the middle of the country for whom mm -hmm. they may have never known a Muslim or a brown person, you know, and have have views about Afghans, especially and the war. And this is kind of a way of, of you know, changing their perceptions. I'm, I'm okay. really excited about it. I am excited about it, too, because, you know, as a Middle Eastern actress, uh, just seeing that. Thank you for creating projects like that to be able to shift. This is a huge shift yeah. to have a leading character as an Afghan person in a show, in a sitcom. Yeah. That's incredible. That's, right. that's yeah. it. That, that's if I see us evolving in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. And but it's not just, by the way, um, uh, we have, so his, his mother, his sister, his brother, and his cousin are all regulars. Now, we will meet them, you know, via Skype, 
you know, they're still in Afghanistan, his family's still in Afghanistan. But it's very exciting because that's five, you know, characters, that's uh, incredible. Uh, you know, who are, the, four of them are themselves Afghan Americans, you mm -hmm. know, um, and, you know, it's just kind of, it's really exciting. And the, and the writers too, that's the other thing that's really remarkable is that we were able to um, hire four writers who were Afghans, <laughs> you know, for the writer's room. That's, that's unheard of too. Beautiful. Um, and then we have an Afghan writer's assistant and an Afghan, you know, production assistant. And we have Afghans who are doing costume design and we have right. Afghans who are doing the music and we have Afghans who are like, you know, we just wanted to make sure that, you know, in Hollywood, we talk a lot about diversity and the right. importance of diversity, but right. oftentimes that only means in front of the camera. Right. But, you know, we, we were committed to making sure that that diversity was also reflected behind the camera. Sure. Well, I'm super excited about it. I just love seeing this change. And um, so you said April 1st. That's when April 1st, 930 on Thursdays, United States of Al. Oh, we're very excited to watch it. Thank you so much for sharing with us. Uh, I also see your uh, best-selling book right behind you, Zealot. Yeah, this is, you know, just in case anybody forgets. <laughs> no, oh, I don't think anybody would forget. So <laughs> would you like to talk to us about that a little bit? Um, since you wrote that book, has your point of view shifted? Have you, do you still, uh, how do you feel about that book now years looking back? Um, you know, it is funny because I, I guess that was in 2013 and uh, ever since the pandemic, time has just become a construct. I, you know, I don't even, it's hard to even know where we are, what day it is, what month it is, <laughs> what year it is. I've lost complete track. I hear you. Um, but uh, but no, I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of that book and I'm very proud of the, the conversations that it that it launched. Um, mm -hmm. It was obviously very successful here in the United States, but it was a bestseller in half a dozen countries and um, and in countries that, you know, you wouldn't expect, like it was a bestseller in India and it was a bestseller in Brazil. Um, so one's a heavily Catholic country and one is a Hindu country. Um, and I think, you know, it, it just goes to show that people are very interested in Jesus as a person um, over and beyond what he's come to represent. But I think for me, um, you know, it's a book that I, that I really spent 20 years working on. Um, you know, most of my career was just kind of focused on one day writing this book. And so it's very satisfying to see um, how well it did. That said, um, you know, I, I kind of, it, it also represented a bit of a turning point for me. My last the last book that I wrote was in 2017. Um, it came out in 2017 um, called God, a human history. And that's probably the last religion book that I'm going to write. So um, my next book is a biography. Um, it has religious themes to it, but it's a straight biography. Um, and I'm going to start writing, you know, other things, television, films. Uh, I feel like I've, I've said what I wanted to say in the field of religious history. Um, once you write a book called God, you're done. Like, <laughs> what, what am I going to do after that? Yeah. I wrote a book about Jesus. I wrote a book about God. I'm done. Um, I wrote a book about that. That's it. You know? Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm excited. I'm excited about, you know, you, you kind of said it in the introduction. I, I, um, I like to re 
invent okay. myself and I can see that I can see that thing. you're very creative Reza like you are you know some people writers are not necessarily uh, could be on stage but you also <laughs> do well on stage like I watch your TEDx with your wife I was cracking up you guys are so funny together and yeah, you have a stage present you're a great speaker so I think um, that's why you're like multi-dimensional so <laughs> that's why I wanted to ask you are you going to make a screen appearance for the the new show <laughs> not for that one no. um you know i i was the 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 show that i've i've been working on over the last couple of years is a show called rough draft and it's basically yes. a yeah it's a it's Love a it. you know, it's a talk show about writers for writers essentially and i really enjoyed um doing it unfortunately the pandemic kept us from doing a second season. It's, it's um, you know, we tried to do a couple of shows via Zoom and- You couldn't drink for, together. For people, yeah, for people who are unfamiliar with the show, it, it takes place literally inside of a bar. Right. It takes place at the bar. You know, we're sitting on bar stools at the bar um, and there, everyone else is kind of around us. And we are, the whole point of it is that we're drinking and talking about writing and the creative life. You can't, you can't recreate that like this. This doesn't work. I know. So, um, you know, hopefully uh, once things are cleared, we can go back and, and do some more episodes because I love doing it. And um, and I love talking to, to creative people about um, the, the writer's life, the creative life. Like, what's it like? You know, I think a lot of people are very curious about um, what does it mean to live the life of the mind you know right i remember and, you saying something that uh you know if you treat writing as a job you'll get it done you yeah, have to feel like a job like you yeah. get your alarm you sit down and you write you don't say oh i have a writer's block i cannot <laughs> yeah, exactly. write i need a muse you know it's just like get it done like start writing exactly. i love that what yeah you yeah said. it's the, it's probably the thing that i say most to my students is that yeah if you don't treat writing like a job it'll never be your job um, and I do think that, yeah, we do have very romantic ideas about <laughs> and what writers do yeah. and what writers do is they sit down and write. That's what writers do. And, you know, it's, it's, there's not a lot of romance in it. <laughs> it's actually I, kind of lonely. Yeah. But I, I picked up a couple of good things from that, uh, rough draft. I am not necessarily a writer, but I, picked up lots of uh, good uh, advice and I love the conversations are very open they're very raw and uh, it, it, it's very joyful thing to watch so I hope that you guys bringing it back for a second yeah. season okay. one thing I was told that when you meet someone or in general don't talk about politics don't talk about religion and when <laughs> I met you these are two things you start talking about it's like it's the only two things I talk about <laughs> <laughs> so you kind of just like from right off the bat broke all, all the rules and you're like bring it on so, <laughs> yeah. I love that I love that um well I'll tell you what it creates a lot of enemies but uh you know these are I, my 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 whole the, the philosophy that I have is that politics and religion are identity markers right that when someone says that I'm democrat or republican or conservative or yeah. liberal or yeah. when someone says I'm christian or muslim or jewish they're not telling you what they believe. They telling they're telling you who they are. You know how they understand them. Their very sense of self. Mm -hmm. So if we are told like don't talk about those those things, you're basically saying don't talk about you know how I define myself. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, 
that can only take you so far. Okay, what are your favorite television shows? All right. Um, you know, what books do you like to read? Those are interesting, but they don't tell me like who you are. Mm-hmm. You know, when we talk about religion, when we talk about politics, it may get ugly, but at least we're now talking about who we are as human beings. Sure, some real talk instead of uh, what's your favorite color. I hear you. And it's courageous, you know, and maybe that's why it gets tense because, you know, people think the identity being attacked if you're not agreeing or if you have a different point of view, not necessarily agreeing. So that's why they come at you really hard. Um, But uh, so I I was inspired by you because I find it very courageous that you talk about it but of course that's where you that's the area that you have studied you have invested your life so where you are right now I know you're not gonna write any more books on religion but what is your perspective on religion as a global citizen right now you know I think that's a very good question um I do think that religion is still uh, a very powerful phenomenon and I do think that Sometimes, you know, when you're a progressive like I am, and when you live in Los Angeles, you know, in in the United States, um, you're around people who often don't take religion very seriously. And so you start to, you know, have this mistaken identity that, well, maybe, you know, religion is a dying force. It's not really important anymore. But the opposite is actually true, that religion is an ever greater force in the world, that it's becoming more strongly um, a, a marker of identity. And so, you know, what I always sort of try to tell people is that no matter what you want to do with your life, no matter what you're interested in, it's very important that you become religiously literate because religion is still how the vast majority of the population of this planet identifies itself. And so, you know, whether you want to be a writer or whether you want to be a doctor or whether you want to be an engineer or whether you want to be a diplomat, if you have to be familiar with religion because it's unavoidable in your encounters with people. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I still think it's very important. I still, um, you know, talk about it and teach it. Um, I'm very proud of the fact that, you know, I've, I've written things that have helped people understand not just specific religions, but more generally what religion is and how to understand it. Um, And I hope that those books continue to have influence. Um, For me, however, I feel like, okay, I've done that. And what I really want to do now is use other platforms and other genres Mm -hmm. to continue to change the way that people think, um, you know, beyond just in, in religious terms. And, and this is something that I've been saying for a decade or more. I mean, I could write a thousand zealots and they could be huge, huge popular international bestsellers mm-hmm. and they still will have the, a fraction of the audience that a sitcom, a popular sitcom will have. Sure. You know? So I wanna, I've done that. Now I wanna focus on you know, the, a sitcom and mm-hmm. see if I can reach people with the same message that are that's in my books, but sure. people who wouldn't normally read my books. Sure. So you're using a different platform to get your message across. If you want to simplify your message, what is your message that you want to get across? Yeah, and uh, this is, I mean, I, I know this very clearly because my wife and I have a 
a founding philosophy. It's one that we teach our kids. It's one that brought us together, you know, when we first dated. And it's one that has driven us ever since, which is don't have a job, have a mission. Mm. You know, you, if you, if you okay. have a mission, then there are many, many ways in order to, you know, get paid for that yeah. mission, to make a living off of that yeah. mission. Sure. But if you have a job, it's just one avenue. People mm-hmm. always say to me, like, you, oh, you do like seven different things. You're a professor and you produce TV shows and you write books and you, you know. But the truth is, is that those are just different expressions of, oh. this thing, of a single mission. And my mission has always been to use stories to transform the way that people see themselves and others, to use stories to break down the walls that separate us. Now, religion is just storytelling. Politics is just storytelling. That's all it is. Stories are how we understand who we are. It's how we understand where we fit in the world. This has always been the case. When we were stooped and hairy and living in caves, stories were how we understood the world. Um, And so, you know, I'm a firm believer in the power of stories to change perceptions, to change the world. And so I wanna use those stories, fiction, nonfiction, historical, you know, contemporary, whatever the case may be, in order to change the way that people think. Beautiful. Sometimes I do it with TV, sometimes I do it with books, you know, it's the same, just different platforms. I love it. Very much uh, inspiring. You have a focus. You have one (laughs) mission. But to get to that mission, you you have many avenues. You may write a book. You may have a TV show. You may be a speaker on a TEDx. But you know Mm -hmm. where you want to go. And you just have different avenues. So each avenue uh, engulfs different audience. Exactly. Beautiful. Love it. Um, one more question I have that is a little bit uh, towards religion is that the line, the fine line between religion and government, when that mm-hmm. gets blurry, how does that impact the need for global citizenry and thinking like a global citizen? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. The, the issue about sort of the role that religion plays in government is not as easy as it sounds, because on the one hand, you wanna just simply say, well, religion should have no role in government whatsoever. I mean, that's ridiculous. It can't be good, obviously. And you look at you know certain examples like Iran and you go, well, obviously that's a, that's a perfect example of what happens when religion becomes government and it's, you know, it's garbage, you know, it's, it's a terrible situation. Yeah. And that's absolutely true. The problem, however, is that if we understand religion to be not just things that you believe, or rituals that you practice, but a a matter of identity, a matter of who you are. Mm -hmm. And if we truly believe that the the best kind of government is a democratic government, a government in which people are free to express themselves and to insert their ideas, their values, their beliefs, their opinions into the, the, the crafting of the state, into the government, well, then how do you excise religion from that, right? Well, then if religion is part of who you are, you can't say you can bring all of yourself into the public sphere, except one thing, except your religion, keep that at home. It doesn't work that way, right? Certainly not in a democracy. That's what Turkey tried for decades, right? You can bring all of yourself, we'll have a democracy, it'll be a democratic state, there'll be elections, there'll be freedoms, but no religion. Religion cannot have any role in this whatsoever. And it didn't work. And now we see 
as often happens, right? The, the sort of snapping to the other side. And now religion is playing way too much of a role, you know, in Turkey. That's, that's what happens. Um, same is true in France, right? France says, yes, we're a democracy, freedom of speech, freedom of thought, except religion. You can't bring religion into the public sphere. It doesn't work, right? Because what you're saying to your citizenship is that all of your opinions matter except for one opinion, any opinion that involves religion, that we can't, we can't have. That to me is the same, Force, forcing religion out of society is the same as forcing religion into society, right? It's the same. <laughs> Um, and it's both, you know, equally disastrous. I think what's very important, and this is something that the United States tries, doesn't always succeed, mm -hmm. which is that we're a country that encourages the role of religion in the public realm, mm -hmm. but has very clear and, and unambiguous laws protecting non-religious or religious minorities. So... Does it always work? No, it doesn't always work, right? I mean, you know, many of our laws are predicated on the religious values of Protestants, you know, because the vast majority of Americans are Protestants. And we can say to ourselves, well, that doesn't make any sense because I'm Buddhist. Why should I live under laws that are clearly influenced by Protestant Christianity? Makes perfect sense except 70% of Americans are Christian. So if you're in a democracy, by definition, that 70% is going to have enormous influence in the way that we create you know, our democratic laws. And it's going to be very clearly predicated on the moral views of that 70% because they are more than us. The only way that you save society is to make sure that there is clear, unambiguous constitutional laws saying that, yes, while that is part of democracy and we can't stop it, at the same time, we can't allow any law, any practice to infringe of the rights of the 30%. And it's a delicate balance. And it may not be as neat as simply saying religion shouldn't have a role in government, period. But it's more honest and true and realistic to, you know, how the role of religion and state actually functions. Well, I love how you call spade a spade. You don't hold anything back. <laughs> uh, thank you for that uh, beautiful explanation. I will very much enjoy it. Uh, in honor of your show, Rough Draft, Um, tell me what what what's the best advice you have received, and what's the worst advice you have received? <laughs> oh no. no, these are questions that I forced my my uh, guests to answer. Okay, um, best writing advice I ever received. Well, I I kind of it's a version of what I just said, which is that um, that writing is a job, right? That um, you know I always sort of say like the person who works, you know, at um, McDonald's uh, doesn't wake up and say, you know, the spirit doesn't move me today. You know, I just, I'm not really, I'm not really um, inspired, you know, to make, to make burgers. So I'm just not going to do it. What? It's your job. You go, it's nine o'clock, you go and you work. 
And I was taught, you know, very early on that that's, that's the same thing as writing. It's nine o'clock. It doesn't matter if you don't feel like it. It doesn't matter if you're not inspired. It's nine o'clock. Sit down. It's time to work. Right. Um, so that's the best advice that, I, that I've given. And that's changed a lot of things. Okay. The worst advice that I ever got as a writer, um, the worst advice I ever got as a writer, I think was um, write what you know, which is funny because, you know, we say that a lot. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's kind of a, an old saying in writing, write what you know. Um, but I think it's sometimes what it gets understood as is only write about yourself and only write about your own experiences and don't try to sort of creatively write about, you know, experiences that you don't have. And I think that's a terrible, that's terrible advice, right? I mean, it's, uh, it stifles your creativity, right? What you know means use yourself and your feelings, your emotions as a model for how you construct other characters, but don't just write about yourself. Interesting. Thank you so much for sharing that with us. I really appreciate you coming on the show today. And, uh, My pleasure. More of you uh, and more of your work. We will be looking out for your show April 1st. Yes. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you so much, Reza June. Thank, Thank you. you. Bye-bye.